0: Welcome to Oncofarm. I'm your host, John Bazzara. I'm a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Oncofarm, Bill Gadd, College of Pharmacy at East Tennessee State University. Well, um, as soon as I finished recording last week's podcast, uh, what I had hoped to talk about uh, came to fruition, which was uh, the FDA announcing and subsequently the CDC also uh, recommending uh, a booster or third dose of mRNA vaccine for immunocompromised folks. Uh, and these immunocompromised folks include active treatment for solid tumor or hematologic malignancy, all of our patients on, on chemo. Uh, now, active treatment for solid tumor technically includes tamoxifen, although I would not classify that person as, uh, as immunosuppressed, uh, solid organ transplant recipient or an immunosuppressive therapy, uh, CAR-T recipient or stem cell transplant recipient, uh, as long as within two years of transplant or taking immunosuppression therapy, um, other ones, active dose, high dose steroids, more than 20 milligrams a day, uh, or equivalent, uh, also alkaline agents, anti-metabolites, uh, chemo for, uh, people, uh, TNF blocking agents, biologics for people with things like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, all those classify as immunocompromised. Now, those of you who have listened to the podcast know, um, uh, going back several months, every time I would see, uh, a, um, a publication of, you know, seropositivity or, or COVID vaccine uh, antibody response in our patient population. I talk about that. Um, I haven't done that as much lately because it's been pretty consistent with what uh, with what has been published before, which is patients uh, with cancer uh, on chemotherapy have lower antibody responses than healthy controls. Um, now, usually these are convenient samples. Uh, they're not when you hear convenience sample, you know, think there there are three reasons, I, I guess, or a couple reasons to have a convenience sample. One is laziness. That's not the case. The other is you don't have money to do a well-designed study. Probably not the case here. Or three is there's an urgent issue to do this as fast as possible, which is the case in this setting. So a lot of these convenience samples would, uh, would take, um, you know, um, the, the, the seropositivity rate for people rece- people on treatment with cancer after the COVID vaccine and their seropositive rate, and compare that to people they already had in their system, or to, to back to staff in clinic, uh, and it was always lower than control. And there are you know maybe a couple categories of folks. Those f- people with solid tumors on chemo had you know significantly lower seropositivity rates. Uh, the folks with hematologic malignancies had even lower seropositive rates, and those on certain drugs targeting B cells. CD20 target agent, CD19 and myeloma, uh, BTK inhibitors had almost no antibody response. Um, so it makes sense that they would need some additional help, some protection from a, from a booster shot. <clears throat> now, just because you have an antibody response uh, doesn't mean that you won't get COVID. Uh, this is a surrogate marker. I think it's important to, to note that. And really what we are are interested in, I guess a couple things, is one is preventing serious infection, the type of infection that ends you up in the hospital or on a ventilator. Um, and, you know, also preventing infection is important too because that prevents spread. Uh, and I've mentioned before that the best thing we can do for our patients, uh, in addition to getting them vaccinated, is getting their loved ones vaccinated, the people they see on a daily basis, if they see them vaccinated, uh, to protect them as well. And ourselves, need to be, we need to be vaccinated if we're the ones talking to them and giving, giving them chemo and seeing them in clinic. We need to be vaccinated so we don't pass uh, COVID on to them as well. So it's in light of all this that, that we have uh, this uh, emergency use authorization update for the mRNA vaccines. This is The Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and the Moderna vaccine here in the U.S. Uh, are now available for a, uh, a third dose, a booster, <clears throat> as long as it's, uh, four weeks after your last dose for these folks. Uh, this is still an emergency use authorization. The FDA has not given regular approval yet to the mRNA vaccines. This does not apply to those patients here who got the Johnson & Johnson, and Johnson the adenovirus vaccine, which you could argue has lower vaccine effectiveness. And, and those patients are probably in greater need of a booster, but that data apparently is not here yet. Speaking of the data, uh, there are two things I want to, I guess, studies I want to go over um, that are the basis for this. So, uh, the nice thing about the CDC, fairly transparent in their presentation, uh, and you can go on their website and find the, the slides they used in their um, their briefing back in July about this. Uh, they, they talk about a study that was conducted by, um, uh, led by the CDC and at multi, uh, several, about five or six centers in the United States, like Vanderbilt, um, Iowa, Texas a and uh, a couple different places uh, they were looking at hospitals. Wake Forest is one of them a uh, place in Minneapolis. And this was a case control study of 1,200 patients uh, hospitalized. And they looked at, uh, you know, people who had COVID and people who didn't and looked at vaccination status. Uh, and this was, um, you know, most people had the, um, about 60% had the B117 variant, which is the UK variant. Remember the, U- the good old days of the UK variant when that was our concern? Um, that was the dominant variant. So this was done in, in the spring of 2021, uh, which Technically, is just last season, if it's summer, but feels like much longer ago than that. Uh, the overall vaccine effectiveness for the mRNA vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna, was 87%. <clears throat> very similar to the 90-95% in the NEJM publication of these two things. Why is it lower? Well, we had some immunocompromised folks in the real-world sample who weren't included in those studies, most likely. Uh, and in fact, of the 45 patients who had a breakthrough COVID infection, meaning they had a COVID infection despite being... Uh, fully vaccinated, uh, almost all of them were over 50 years of age. And uh, two out of five, 44% were immunosuppressed. And the vaccine effectiveness in the immunosuppressed population was less than 60% compared to uh, 91% in those who weren't um, immunosuppressed. So we know that the immunos, based on this, FDA or CDC is saying immunocompromised folks who are vaccinated, despite vaccination, are making up a large chunk of our of our COVID positive patient, much larger than the 3% um, of patients that are nationally immunosuppressed, much a higher proportion of those, but maybe 44% based on this case control study of 1200 people are what we're seeing in the hospitals. And I know if you're listening to this and you take care of cancer patients, you know people on treatment or have been on treatment who have contracted COVID. Uh, guarantee it, 100% that you that you have seen that uh, because because it's happening. So that's one of the, the studies that they cite saying, this is a, a population that, that is potentially driving the pandemic or preventing the pandemic uh, from, uh, from plateauing, I guess now, or, or going away. Uh, the second study they cite, and this is the study cited in the updated EUA, is a two-page letter to the editor in the New England Journal of Medicine by uh, Kamar and colleagues from France looking at a third dose of the Pfizer mRNA vaccine in solid organ transplant patients, and basically what they did is uh, they gave them their first two doses, and then they gave them uh, a third dose uh, a month later. And here are the uh, the antibody levels uh, before each dose: so zero percent before the first dose, four percent before the second dose, forty uh, percent before the third dose. So only forty percent of people on immunosuppressive drugs with like kidney transplants had an antibody response a month after their second. Uh, COVID uh, vaccine. Uh, and then 68% had antibody response a month after the third dose. Uh, and so antibody response is a dichotomous. It's a yes, no, you either had enough or you didn't. And that can be useful, I suppose. But if you look at the antibody titers, they go up um, almost exponentially uh, fr- from following dose one, dose two, dose three. And again, that's a surrogate marker for the vaccine effectiveness. Um, so, uh, you know, I know that we have had patients calling our clinic asking when we're going to have this, uh, available, uh, institutionally and how to roll this out. Because as with an EUA, there's, um, you know, it's a little bit vague in, in some of these things. Um, I would, I would, if any patient asked me, uh, my opinion, I would say if they're on this to, to get a, to get, a, an immunization booster, um, I, I do have to point out, though, that this is based on a case control study uh, of immunosuppressed patients driving the pandemic, which I'm sure is true, and, and based on a study in solid organ transplant patients. I will say in solid organ transplant patients, there's similar research that I haven't presented on this podcast about solid organ transplant patients on immunosuppressed therapy having lower antibody subversion. So I do think it's, a, it's, a, it's reasonable to extrapolate data from that patient population or patients on chemo. I do. Uh, how effective it will be in people on, on RCHOP and a brutinib and a calbrutinib, I don't know. My guess is it would be less effective. Um, you could argue that's a reason not to do the booster on these folks because it's not uh, the same patient population. You could also argue it's more reason to because they're, they're probably a little bit more immunosuppressed and at greater risk from severe complications from COVID. And I'm not going to get into uh, the boosters for everybody, Uh, Because there's a lot to think about with regards to your individual responsibility not to get COVID if you're taking care of cancer patients. And then uh, the larger societal uh, question of should we divert those COVID vaccines to everyone else in the world who has not received a vaccine yet to help? uh, Maybe that's the better way to slow the growth of the pandemic. Because just like a cancer, the more it grows, the more it mutates, and the more the virus replicates in in us, in the vector, the more uh, it will replicate. Uh, and finally, I will end by, by pointing out that, that France, uh, where this uh, Salvation transplant study came from, uh, they announced in April uh, a third dose, four weeks after the second dose, for those who are severely immunocompromised. Uh, the UK has a proposal uh, for an additional dose for immunocompromised folks uh, as well. Uh, decision not yet out on that, at least as of uh, mid-July. And then Israel where most of the the research we have as far as antibody conversion rates being lower in cancer patients, most of that comes from from Israel. Uh, They announced that people with um, uh, stem cell transplants or solid organ transplants, blood cancer, autoimmune disease, and treatment with specific immunosuppressive medications could get a booster, uh, but they exclude patients with breast, lung, or colon cancer, interestingly uh, enough, and, and, and maybe, I don't know what the specific immunosuppressive medications they mention are. Hopefully, cyclophosphamide is one of them but that I do not know. Uh, so that is, where, that is where this stands. More data to come, and as it is published, uh, we will certainly talk about it on the podcast. Um, we've got a couple new FDA drug approvals, but we'll save those uh, for next week, as you can hear my voice is not on, on par with where it usually is. Um, it's not COVID, I can assure you. Um, thank you for listening. Um, you can follow me... Uh, Uh, On Twitter, at PharmDDip. And you can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram, at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter.